Thank you and thanks for that game, the opportunity of being with you. It's always good to be together with God's people, isn't it? As we're reminded that we're family together and uh, we like to be together, don't we, as we belong to God's family. We're continuing with the study that you're doing in Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, keep it open. I don't know about you, but um, I always take my Bible to church, but do I always remember to open it? And uh, if you've brought your Bible with you, it's a really good thing to open it and read through as we um, study this together and see what God has to say to us. Rob reminded us that the elders in selecting um, this topic to study over the next few weeks had a purpose, threefold, and you should all know it, I'm sure, because you were all given a little piece of paper last week and I really enjoyed listening to what Rob had to say as uh, I listened to it on the podcast this week. I don't know whether you use the podcast, but it is excellent. So I encourage you to re-listen to the sermons or if you miss them, to listen to it on the website. It's so easy to do so. But what's the reason for studying uh, Hebrews together? Three things. It's to learn more about what God has said through Jesus. It's to take note of the warnings and there's five of them that are given and it's to be encouraged to persevere in our Christian faith. I wonder if you remember where you were on Saturday the 7th of February 2009. It was a terrible day. It was hot, it was dusty and sadly it was a day when 173 people died in the Black Saturday bushfires. The Weather Bureau and the emergency services had been warning us all week. I remember every day there were messages leading up to that Saturday. It was going to be a terrible day and then on the Saturday after many fires started advice came early in the afternoon that one of the major fires would miss Marysville. It was going to go to the south of Marysville and it wouldn't take it. But the wind change came, as it always seems to, and it took the fire through Marysville. The Marysville residents weren't ready. They didn't know the fire was coming. And sadly for many of them, there was no escape. Only 10% of the buildings in Marysville remained standing. And yet Victoria is considered one of the most fire-prone places in the world. There are fires every summer without fail and there's devastating fires every few years. You might remember 2006 when the Alps burnt and in 2003 when they burnt previously. 1983, you might remember the Ash Wednesday bushfires. Some of you are old enough to remember 1967 when the Dandenongs went up. And what about 1939? I don't know that. Is there anyone here that remembers the 1939 bushfires? But again, yes, they were the ones that, as a result of the Royal Commission, the CFA started. You know, we know that there's something that is going to happen And for a little while, people remember how terrible those bushfires are. But then they quickly forget and they think that it won't happen to me. 
No, my place will be okay. And the urgency wanes and they drift into complacency. They neglect to do the things that they need to do to be prepared for a devastating fire and they get themselves into a situation where when the fire comes there'll be no escape. In our Bible reading, the author's writing to believers. He's writing to followers of Jesus, like us. And these followers were going through incredible change. The things that they thought that were important in following God were no longer important and they were drifting. They wanted to go back to the old ways of the law and sacrifice. They were in danger of giving up on Jesus. They had God's word. Jesus had come and revealed God to them but how were they responding to God's son who had spoken to them, to God who had spoken to them by his son. Remember Rob highlighted seven things last week about Jesus in chapter one and it was talking about Jesus who was fully God that he was majestic, that he was powerful, that he was divine and ultimately the seventh thing was that he provided purification for our sins. These believers, they were drifting from God's word. Here we are in chapter 2 and verse 1, how will we escape if we neglect such great salvation? Rob introduced us to these five warnings. So, the first one that we're going to be looking at is drifting. But then the second one that you'll study, no doubt, in a week or two is doubting God's word. They had hardened hearts. In chapter 5, they became dull to God's word. They weren't maturing. They were still on milk instead of on meat. In chapter 10, they'd got to the point that they were despising God's word and they were deliberately disobeying it. And when you get to chapter 12, they'd actually denied God's word. They were refusing to hear God's word and they were turning away from it. If we don't listen to God's word and really hear it, we'll start to drift too. Neglect always leads to drifting. And we drift and then we doubt and then we become dull and then we despise God's word and ultimately we deny it. It's a downward spiral. We need to place ourselves under the word of God. Not think we know it. We need to reread it, to restudy it. We need to allow God's word to soak into our beings. We need it to challenge us. We need it to encourage us. And all through this book of Hebrews, it's a reminder that Jesus is our saviour. He's rescued us, he's saved us and he continues to provide for our salvation. And Rob talked about that last week, didn't he? That Christ, and he used some words and I'm sure you remember them, Christ is better, Christ is superior, Christ is greater, that that comes constantly throughout. He's better than the prophets, than the angels, than Moses, than Aaron. No, indeed. And 
It's interesting that it started off by saying that this message was proclaimed through angels. What was the message that it's speaking about there as you look at it? It was the law that was received at Mount Sinai. Stephen speaking in Acts chapter 7 and verse 53, he says, You who have received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. These readers knew exactly what this writer was talking about. And Paul speaking in Galatians 3 and verse 19 said the law was given through angels. And if people who didn't obey the law were judged, how much more will we be judged if we neglect such a great salvation? So what was this salvation that they were drifting away from? This salvation was announced by the Lord and it was confirmed to us who heard him. God testified to it by signs and wonders and miracles, by gifts of the Spirit. This salvation was announced to us by the Lord. Remember some of the things our Lord said? I have come that you might have life. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. I give unto them eternal life and they will never perish. Come unto me and I will give you rest. And I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Drifting. You know, one of the areas that we can drift today in is being drawn into thinking that other religions are okay. You know, the people following these teachers, they're well-meaning. They're really seeking after God, aren't they? You know, it's okay, we should come together and we're really sharing ultimately the same thing that we're wanting to do what's right. But no, we're not to get drawn into Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism. We're not to think that Islam worships the same God that we do because my Bible tells me that Jesus, the Lord who announced this salvation, said the only way that you can know the God that I worship, that I am, is that you can only come through me. There's no other way. And yet I know there are some in Christian circles saying, well, it's okay to pray to Allah because Allah and Jehovah are ultimately the same gods, aren't they? My Bible clearly says that this Saviour says that there's only one way to the God that we worship and that's through Jesus. But isn't some of their philosophies okay? Isn't it good to meditate? Isn't it good to learn how to relax? They're good things, aren't they? To get involved in yoga and other things like that. In themselves they mightn't be wrong. But where does their philosophy come from? I have a colleague at work that she's a yoga instructor and she teaches a lot of those in other government departments, goes there in the evenings. She's just spent time in India studying with the masters. Why has she done that? Because on the surface it looks like it's just 
helping to learn meditation and relaxation. But the philosophy behind it is something completely different. We've got to be careful about thinking that these things are okay. But you see, Christianity is not a philosophy. No, it's about a person. It's about Jesus. It's not a way of life. It's not a set of rules. It's not about being good, although even those things that we do do. But no, it's about a person. It's about Jesus. Romans 5 and 8 says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's our salvation. And that's what this chapter's about, what he's done and he's doing for us. But the believers here were giving up on him and they were drifting back into an ism. They were drifting back into Judaism. They were going back to religion. Do we know Jesus? Have we fallen in love with him? Are we continuing to grow in our relationship with him? Our salvation is all about a person. And this salvation came through Jesus who is fully God, as we looked at in chapter 1. And here in chapter 2, it tells us that our Saviour is fully human because this salvation is for mankind. It's not for angels. It's not angels that he came to save. No, it's humans. It's us. And here we've got five things that Christ our Saviour has done and is doing for us. And the first is is that this salvation had to come through Christ who was fully human so Christ could regain our lost dominion. If you look in verse 5, you see because when created um, humanity was given dominion over creation, quoting Psalm 8, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and you put everything under their feet. Dominion was given to us, was given to humans over the created world. But at the moment, humanity doesn't seem to have control over creation. And verse 8 clearly says that. But then in verse 9, the writer to Hebrews directly applies this psalm to Jesus. He says, But now we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that the grace of God, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What's the point? In verse 7, man was crowned with glory and honour. But he lost his crown and became a slave to sin. When Jesus came, he did exercise control over creation, didn't he? You can think he exercised creation over the wind and the waves, over the fish that ended up on the right side of the boat so that Peter and the apostles could catch them. What about the rooster? He even controlled the rooster when it crowed, didn't he? When Peter denied the Lord. Or what about the donkey that no one had ever ridden on? He had complete control, dominion 
over creation. And Jesus has regained man's lost dominion and today everything's under his feet. Ephesians 1 verse 22 tells us that very clearly and the reason is because he suffered death on everyone's behalf. So today believers share his kingly domain and one day when he establishes his kingdom we'll reign with him. Christ as our saviour has regained our lost dominion through being our saviour and dying in our place. We can drift in regard to this, can't we? We can drift into thinking that what's happening around the world doesn't seem like God's in control anymore. It doesn't really matter. Look, this world's going to pass away, so let's pray that Jesus will come and, boy, we look forward to that and everything will be put right. But what about now? With the abuse of resources, the exploitation of creation, wicked regimes causing suffering and harm to people. But you see, we have been saved. We have regained, through Christ, dominion again over creation. There's two ways about thinking about creation and its order and both of them are wrong and often this is our thinking. In the Eastern cultures, we worship creation. There's a God in every tree. Creation's so precious that it's more important than humans. But equally at the other extreme, the Western thinking is is that, well, we exploit them. Resources are for us to use. But you see, if we drift in our thinking to either of those things, that's wrong. Jesus as our saviour reminds us that we have dominion over creation and where to care for it, where to use resources wisely, where to be responsible with what we've been given, where to help and be involved in aid, in reforestation, in clean water, in sharing what God has given us with those around us. Jesus is in control. Jesus is our saviour because he's regained dominion for us again over creation. But the second thing that Christ as our saviour has done is he has made us part of the family of God. Verse 10, Jesus brought many sons and daughters to glory. He's the author and the pioneer of our salvation. Christ gave up his glory to become a man. He regained his glory when he arose and descended to heaven. If we read Philippians 2 and uh, verse 8, there's that great little hymn that talks about the fact that Jesus became lowered himself, humbled himself, even under death. But now he's exalted and he's at God's right hand. And he shares that glory with all of us who trust him for salvation. John chapter 17 and verse 22, Jesus praying said, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. And in verse 12, he quotes Psalm 22, a messianic psalm 
where Christ refers to his church as his brethren. And in verse 11, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. We've become part of the family of God. A wonderful family. The Bible doesn't speak about individual believers. He doesn't, the Bible doesn't talk about just coming to faith in Christ yourself. It talks constantly about the people of God, the bride of Christ, the household of faith. Indeed, all of these things show us that we are family together. Why don't you turn and look at the person next to you and say that I'm your brother or I'm your sister in Christ. Just to remind us of that. Do we believe that? That yes, the person sitting next to us is actually our brother and our sister in Christ. And we're not to be ashamed of each other. We've all got different shapes. Does someone walk across the room towards you and think, oh no, I didn't want to talk to them this morning? No. We're to care for each other, aren't we? We've all got different gifts. We've all got different looks. We all wear different clothes. But we're to be interested in each other so that we grow together because we're part of God's family. I have a brother-in-law who's adopted and he enjoys being part of a family. And when he was married, he became part of a larger family. And he often says, when we have family get-togethers, that he'd never miss them because he just loves being part of a wider family. It's really special. And we have all been adopted into God's family. Ephesians 1 and verse 5 tells us that we've been adopted for sonship through Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians 2 and verse 19 it says that we're no longer strangers. Do you know everyone here? Do you spend time getting to know each other? Because we're no longer strangers and aliens but we're fellow citizens with the saints and are part of God's household. Drifting. You see, we can drift in thinking that we don't really belong. We can drift in thinking that, well, no one really cares. No one knows what's happening for me while I'm sitting there in the back row or halfway down. I've had a really terrible week, but no one's interested in just taking the time to find out where I'm really at and then following me up during the week just to, to support me. You see, we can drift in our thinking and then we can stop meeting with God's people, stop spending time with each other and that's what these guys were doing. Hebrews 10 and verse 24 and 25, he says, don't stop meeting together as is the habit of some. I've got friends, keen friends that love to take a holiday from church when they go on holidays. And you think, how can that be? That they don't want to be with the family. No, we're family together, aren't we? And when you're not here, 
you're missed. No, indeed, we're part of God's family together. But this salvation had also to come through Christ who was fully human so Christ could break the power of Satan and he could free us or deliver us from death. If you look at verse 14, it says there, doesn't it? Just those words. And do you remember Satan said to Eve back in the garden in chapter 3 and verse 4, if you eat the fruit you won't die. No. But what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12? By one man sin entered the world and death through sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. But in verse 21 of Romans chapter 5 it says that just as sin reigned in death so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see Jesus didn't come to save angels as it talks about in verse 16 in your passage. No, he came to save us. He shared our humanity. It says in verse 14, he didn't take on the nature of angels because he didn't come to save fallen angels. No, he took on the nature of humans so that he might come and save us. He had to become one of us so that he could die and through his death defeat Satan. Satan isn't destroyed but he is disarmed and he is defeated. You see, we can drift in our thinking and continue to be afraid of death, thinking that that's the end. Paul could say in Philippians 1 and verse 23 that it was better for him to depart, to die and to be with Christ which was far better. And when a loved one does die, we are sorrowful, aren't we? But we sorrow not as those who have no hope in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We don't want to die, do we? But we shouldn't be afraid to die because Jesus, as our Saviour, has broken the power of death. He's delivered us from the fear of death. John 11 and 26 when Jesus was talking to Martha at her brother's graveside he said to her he said that I give them eternal life and they will never die. So what is death? Death is just physical death but we're with Christ forever. Let's not drift in our thinking and be afraid of death and do everything in our power to try and stop this physical body dying. We want to keep well, but our times are in God's hands and we shouldn't drift into thinking that makes us afraid of that situation. And then in verse 17... This salvation had to come through Christ who was fully human so that Christ could be our high priest. By being human, Jesus can identify with us in our weakness. 
and our needs. Angels can't and Jesus was made like his brothers and sisters it says so he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. He knows what it's like to be a baby. He knows what it's like to be a growing teenager. He knows what it's like to be despised and rejected. He knows what it's like to be weary and hungry. He's experienced suffering. He's experienced death and he intercedes for us. We don't know what's happening sometimes or we don't know why things are difficult or why are relationships broken like they are. We might be upset. We might feel that no one cares but Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He has direct access to God. Isn't that amazing? Some years ago I had the opportunity when I was studying, uh, visiting the Parliament House for the state of Pennsylvania based in Harrisburg and because I was undertaking some research I'd been introduced to one of the senators and he said, well, Keith, would you like to come and have a look in the chamber? And so he took me into the chamber, he had all the passes and the keys and in we went and I even sat in the speaker's chair and it was fun but looked up there and in the gallery was the official tour taking place and there was a group of people that I don't know whether they'd paid money, probably not, but they were only able to get up into the gallery and look down over because the guide was just showing them around. What's the point? We can only gain access to the throne room, to the decision-making place if we have someone who has authority. Jesus enters right into the throne room of God the decision-making place of the universe, of everything and he intercedes there on your behalf and mine. Firstly, he's atoned for us by presenting his own blood and secondly, he takes our prayers and he intercedes for us. You know, we can think that God won't hear me. We can drift into this thinking of saying I'm not worthy but it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. He's our representative. He's our advocate. How did you go this week when you were praying for a certain situation? Did you realise, did you picture in your mind that Jesus is taking your prayer and going into the very throne room, the presence of God and saying, I'm listening on behalf of Denise. I present these prayers for you or Jane or Raph or whoever it is that we have direct access through Jesus. Sometimes when we pray it just seems like words. This is what we do. But we're actually entering the throne room of the universe through Jesus Christ our Saviour. And finally this salvation had to come through Christ who was fully human so Christ can help us in time of temptation. When we're tempted to sin Jesus is there to help us. He was tempted when he was here on earth but nothing ever conquered him. And he's able to give us the grace that we need to help us in that time of temptation.
You see, we can drift in our thinking that we have to live the Christian life in our own strength. But we're to lean on Jesus. He helps us. There's always a way out from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 tells us that. I have a friend who had real difficulties with gambling. One weekend our wives were both away together on a a camp together and I was aware that he'd be tempted to gamble on that particular weekend. Well, his wife was away so I called him up during Saturday afternoon just to say hi and there was no answer. I knew where he'd be So I got in the car and I drove into town and I went to the gambling venue and I walked in and there he was sitting at one of the machines and transfixed and I went up and just touched him on the shoulder and he looked up and he turned to me and he said, oh Keith, he said, I'm just coming, yep, I'll come with you, that's great. And we just went and we spent the rest of the afternoon together. What's the point? Jesus helps us in temptation and so often... It's through his people. It's through other members of our family. What are the areas of our lives that we experience temptation in? They're all different. But we need to make ourselves accountable to each other so that we can encourage each other in those times of temptation. What's the area that you're struggling with personally? Can I encourage you to be brave enough to talk to someone that you trust and say, I'm struggling with this area. Can you help make me accountable? Remember Chuck Swindle talking about he and a number of other pastors making themselves accountable to each other, particularly during the time when lots of ministers were falling in the areas of sexual sin. And so they'd meet together every week over coffee And they'd ask themselves a number of questions. Have you been in a place alone with a woman this week that you shouldn't have been in? And they'd ask other questions like that. And the last question they always asked was, have you just lied to me? Are we prepared to make ourselves accountable to each other as part of God's family so that Jesus, being our saviour, as he helps us in our time of temptation... He can so often do that through another member of the family. The fire's coming. Judgment is coming. And we're in its path. And we can only escape through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Why are we studying Hebrews? to learn more about what God said through Jesus. To take note of the five warnings that are given and to be encouraged to persevere in our Christian faith. Let's respond to this first warning. Let's not neglect our salvation. Let's not drift in our belief and commitment to Jesus. Let's remind each other and encourage each other that Jesus has regained our lost dominion over creation. How are we responding to that? Jesus has made us part of God's family. 
Are we enjoying that and supporting and encouraging each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? Jesus has defeated Satan so we have no fear of death. Are you experiencing an illness or sickness or are you scared of death or have a family member or a friend this week? Encourage one another that there is no fear in death because Jesus is our Saviour. And Jesus, as our High Priest, has made atonement for us and he's interceding for us. When we pray this week, let's picture in our mind that Jesus is taking our prayers into the throne room of God and interceding on our behalf. And Jesus is helping us in times of temptation. And if it's not for us a particular temptation this week, let's encourage and support and help someone else who we know is experiencing real temptation and difficulties in whatever situation that it might be. Why? So we can persevere in times of difficulty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through creation, through the Old Testament, through the words in the New Testament and ultimately through Jesus himself. Father, help us not to drift away, but help us to listen, to apply your word to our lives so that it makes a difference in our daily living. Father, this week, help us to experience your salvation in a fresh and vibrant way that we can share with others in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.